Born in 1942, singer-songwriter Mark Lindsay wasted little time finding his passion and true calling. As an 18-year-old in Boise, Idaho, Lindsay and his band, Paul Revere and the Raiders, signed a record deal and charted on the Billboard Hot 100 list not long after. His band would go on to have a very successful two-decade career before Lindsay decided to take his act solo. In 1969, Mark Lindsay would release a country anthem that changed the world. Arizona by Mark Lindsay reached as high as number 10 on the Billboard charts and sold over 100 million copies receiving certified platinum status from the Recording Industry Association of America. More importantly, the song, Arizona, has become a pop culture staple for making fun of the 48th state, thanks entirely to the wildly popular podcast, The Fellowship, by Nation Golf. Lindsay, who is now 81 years old and living in Florida, said in a recent interview, quote, I thought selling a million copies of Arizona was the highlight of my life, but then the Fellowship podcast took it to a new level and I am eternally grateful. You know, the song is actually about a hippie girl named Arizona. It has nothing to do with the state, but that's the thing about art. It belongs to the viewer and the listener. If these guys are going to use it to relentlessly make fun of one of the most ass-backward places in the world, then I lift my whiskey glass to them. End quote. Sinatra has New York, New York. Tupac has California love. Mark Lindsay has Arizona. Check me. Welcome to The Fellowship. My name is Adam Hawk, and joining me as he does every single week is Ryan Engel, just a couple of golf guys chopping it up on the old yak box. On today's show, Engel and I played golf together this past weekend, and the group behind us was the living incarnation of the live slogan, Golf But Louder. And the sad part to that statement is that the group behind us was four of our friends. We'll get into that. And we'll also talk about Anthony Kim's return to golf. It's happening, and it's happening this weekend. And the only question is, will you be watching? Also, Chuck Woods tried to qualify for a PGA Tour event, and it didn't go well. And I'm not talking about his score. All of those topics are on the table, including a topic Ingles wanted to get to for quite a few weeks. Is the PGA Tour boring? Before we get into all of that, I need some advice. I come to you often for advice. Are you ready to give me some advice? Okay. I want to talk about my neighbors. Could you give me some advice on how to deal with bad, inconsiderate neighbors? Uh, Yeah. Do you feel like doing the podcast today or just looking at your phone? Waiting for my break. You're on break right now, clearly. Well, maybe we should take a break. (laughs) I live next to quite possibly the most inconsiderate family in the world. I try to take everything into consideration, such as there are four kids living under one roof with a single mom. However, it's really hard to look past 
just how inconsiderate and selfish they are. They are the world's worst parkers. They park on the street in front of our house about six feet from the curb and turned halfway into the road. They once put out cat food for a stray litter of kittens that was living under our crawl space, Mm. which only invited those kittens to stick around and stay. They have thrown trash into our front and backyards. Wow. And there have been a couple of confrontations in the past, but yesterday as I was sitting in my recliner, which I affectionately refer to as the top dog chair. The top dog chair, okay. I had my front door open so I could see out, and the mom comes pulling in to park in front of her house. She does not have a driveway, and on her way in, she clipped a brand new car that doesn't belong to me but belongs to another neighbor. She clipped that car right in the front left bumper. Then she parked her car, got out, looked at the damage, walked right inside, didn't do anything about it. Very similar to when they take their dogs out to use the bathroom and they don't pick up after their dogs, regardless of where that dog does its business, oftentimes in our front yard. She pulled in head first, clipped this guy, looked at the damage, went inside, and I just lost my marbles because I can't deal with this anymore. I can't deal with this selfishness and this inconsideration. However, I don't want to go start anything. I don't want to go, hey, I saw you clip that car and I saw you not leave a note and I see the damage on your car and I see the damage on their car. I don't want to go have that conversation. Should I? Should I leave a note? What should I do? What you should have done is right then while you're sitting on your fat chair. The top dog chair. You should have walked out and and handled it right away. Now it's just weird and awkward and you're like, hey, I saw you and it's like, oh, no, you didn't. I mean, if you would have done it right away, that, that was the time to handle it. You walk out, you go, Hey, are you going to leave a note on that? Just real aggressively. Right. That's what I would have done. Yeah, the problem is there's nowhere to go after that. I go right back into my house, which is 10 feet from her house, and this bubbling disdain for each other just continues to build. That's no way to live. I don't like having a bad relationship with my neighbor, so I chose to sit this one out because I just don't want that awkwardness. But you're saying I should have gone and had a little chit-chat. Yeah. You handle shit right when it happens, dude. You don't wait. Let it fester. But it wasn't my car that she hit. Different story if it's my car. Doesn't matter. Being a good neighbor, being a good Samaritan, you look out for each other. She's clearly the bad apple, so you got to pick her from the tree and throw her in the trash. Okay, what's the next topic? The next topic. This past weekend, we played golf with six of our closest friends at one of our favorite places, Metal Arc Golf Club in beautiful Huntington Beach, California. If you were looking for a city the size of Texas with the exact same political views, then Huntington Beach is for you. It quite simply is the only place on earth where former UFC fighter Tito Ortiz could be elected to city council, which he was, and then disgracefully resigned six months later because he made such a mess of public office in such a short period of time, which he did. But this isn't about HB. This is about the Great Greengrass Escape located inside its city limits. Meadowlark Golf Club, the 100-year-old municipal golf course, expertly run in part by our pal and their assistant GM, Jordan Brown. It's really fun watching another man's passion in real-time performance. The way he interacts with the customers out there on the course, obviously just being a steward of the property and picking things up and moving things around. And from start to finish, 
he was running the place passionately in a positive way, as well as being present and having fun with us. It's just a classic, classic, classic version of you love to see it. <laughs> In total, there were eight of us at the Lark on Saturday, two groups of four, and in an effort to bond both parties, I put together a little Ryder Cup-esque match. In one group, you, me, Thomas Wrighton, and Jordan Brown, and in the group right behind us, Jordan Dixon, Cameron Huth, Jordan Borat, and Jorge Hill. If the name Jordan Dixon rings a bell, it's because he quite literally rang a bell when he walked into Texas Roadhouse last November waving around a single dollar bill, looking at his watch, demanding that the host cut him a break and seat an eight top 20 minutes before closing without the full group being there. (laughs) Still my favorite all-time move of unbridled, unabashed entitlement. Cut me a break. In a town full of screenwriters, none of them could write that moment. No. Now, look, we had a great time at the Lark, a 10 out of 10, an A-plus day, and we aren't about to get on here and start taking the piss out of anyone. I will say this. The group behind us made for a very interesting and very memorable experience, and that's fine. That's great. It's fun, and I want to caution anyone who was in that group who might be listening right now, if you can't take a joke, if you can't have some fun, if you can't enjoy some banter, just turn off the episode because we're not interested in having a text conversation for five hours about this. Awareness is key here. And I think that's going to be the moral of the story. I will say this. You know who we are. You know what we do. Next time you set a Saturday to hang out with us, you might want to tighten those screws a little bit because we're watching. And boy, did we see it. We saw a lot. There's a lot to talk about. A lot of people are talking. For example, on the third hole, a mammoth par four and the hardest hole on the golf course, someone from the group behind us hit a wayward three-wood right into our golf cart. Hit our golf cart. Yes. Credit for yelling four, but it took about 30 minutes on the golf course for one of us to almost die. On the fourth hole, a par three, I was on the green putting out, and someone from the group behind me yelled from the tee box 180 yards away, I can't focus looking at Adam Hawk's sweet ass. One hole later, we were given contraband by someone in the group behind us. Now look, no one enjoys a vice like these two guys engaging in today's jaw jack and horse hockey, but you're also not going to catch us bringing our own outside food and beverage to a golf course that is having us out for free, especially when we're playing alongside a senior employee of said golf course. If you're going to cheat... Be discreet. Put that on a sticker. You know what I'm saying? You ain't going to show up to the concert and try to get through security with a 30 rack out in the open. No. You're going to flask up, put it in your back pocket, and sip it when no one's looking. When you're getting comped by the boss and you walk into the grill room with a sack of egg McMuffins when they're trying to sell you breakfast, and then you offer them some booze you snuck on the course. Come on, man. (laughs) Come on, man. And JB, being just the fucking absolute gentleman he is, took it in stride. People make mistakes. On hole six, I was thrown a pink golf ball by the group behind us, you know, akin to Tiger Woods handing Justin Thomas a tampon. Mm. Hilarious joke. And somehow over the course of the next 13 holes, the group behind us managed to fall two holes behind, which is quite the accomplishment considering it was cart path only on a Saturday at a place that averages 300 rounds a day. Yeah. 
I just want to remind the people listening that this is the part of the podcast where I have to say, we're just having fun here. We're just recalling some stories that we saw. Just okay. having a little fun, folks. Just trying to have a little fun yeah. here, folks. No one needs to feel self-conscious. No one needs to feel awkward. No one needs to text an apology to anyone. If you can't handle it, just don't listen. We love everyone that we played with. And I keep referring to what <laughs> was happening behind us as the group behind us, but... There were two main culprits, and what do those two main culprits have in common? Why don't you tell the people, Engel? Arizona! Arizona! <laughs> Isn't it ironic that the, uh, the Arizona Cartners of the day not only uh, touched on those little no-nos that we, we just talked about, but they kind of had a little bit of a divorce towards the end as well. And what I thought was the funniest part about the whole day is that all of a sudden we're we're in the lunchroom having lark dogs. And for anyone who doesn't know what a lark dog is, you got to get your ass down to Metal Lark Golf Club, play their historic, nice, generous golf course. And when you're finished up, head into the grill room and try to step over Jordan Dixon's sack of egg McMuffins and order up a lark dog. They're world famous. They butterfly fillet this thing, press it down, grill it on the flat top. What do they got in there? Some like Philly cheesesteak grilled onions and bell peppers and stuff with a little sauce on top. They're absolutely phenomenal. Is that not the best hot dog that you can get around here? Has to be. And it washes down great with a lark lager. Yeah, and kudos to JB on the lark lager can design. So we're in the grill room and we're having our lark dogs with our lark loggers and you can definitely tell that JD looks a little upset. So I call across the table. I say, a little trouble in paradise back there? I want you to clarify. There's a JB and, and a, a JD. JD. So I'm talking about Mr. Dixon. And he was clearly upset with Cam's actions on the course and his willingness to play ready golf and speed things up. He said, oh, he was, he was yelling and he was acting a fool and this and that. And I go, Jordan. Weren't you the guy yelling at Adam's sweet ass on the third hole? And wasn't your group two holes behind? What the fuck are we even talking about? Kind of looked like a deer in headlights. I think he kind of understood at that point. And if he didn't then, he does now. Personally, I thought it was hilarious. All those things are harmless, but they're all lessons at the same time. And it created some laughs. We all laughed a lot at lunch, which was great. All we can do is learn from it. And look, I'm not saying I'm on this high and mighty pedestal. There are things that I got to work on too, but just so you know, Arizona, Arizona. <laughs> it's all fun and games, boys. Don't get your panties in a bunch. All fun and games. And our favorite team is team content. That's the team we root for. Yep. And when you hang out with the people we hang out with, you sure do get a lot of content. Yeah. Thank you to everyone that played. We had a wonderful, wonderful time. And who won the cup, Adam? Well... As for the match, there were six points up for grabs. Both teams split three and three. And as we like to say in the business, folks, no blood. So the cup stays at the Lark. Yes. Until next year. Until next year. It was a great day. Metal Lark, truly a gem. Salt of the earth kind of place. Super special. And I encourage everyone listening to get out there. Great track, great food, great drinks. Can't wait to go back. As for me, how did I play? like a tour player for 12 holes and like a complete donkey for the last six. I stone cold topped one off the tee twice in three holes. And then on the final hole, 
walking up to the forward tees to get the ball that I topped, I swung so bad with a five wood that the bottom of my club just barely scraped the very top single dimple of the golf ball and it embedded into the fairway right under my feet. The ball went zero yards forward and about half a yard in the direction of China. Worst swing I have had in 36 years. And because of it, Thomas Wrighton, who was two down to me from most of the back nine, came back and beat me one up. Quite simply, I cost my team the match. Mm. And now, honestly, I am worried that I have the mental yips because I fell apart like a rented tux and didn't even have the will to put a swing on the ball the last three holes. Shot an 82, that could have been a 75 if I didn't completely forget how to play golf. Well, let's not be crazy here, 75, give me a break. But I wouldn't beat yourself up too much. That's your game. For 15 holes, you play like a six handicap, and then all of a sudden, every dumpster in your neighborhood catches on fire. That's what you do. You always have a bad stretch of holes. And it just so happened that it was when the match got important and it was on the line and it was towards the end and so it stings a little more. But that's your game, dude. That is your game. Moving on, let's talk about Anthony Kim making his return to golf. Allegedly, according to multiple reports, including Rex Hoggard from the Golf Channel and many, many others, Anthony Kim is coming back to play his first professional round in 12 years voiding a $10 million insurance policy, and he will we be... We don't know if that's true. All right, whatever. He will be teeing it up at a live golf event as one of the two wild cards. I have no idea what that means. I don't know why wild card and golf are in the same sentence. Isn't that fitting, though? However, Anthony Kim will be teeing it up at live golf. I wonder if he's going to be sporting the old uh, Jeremy Lin man bun. He was caught wearing that for a little while. <laughs> Hey, here's the real question we should all be asking. Adam's going to touch on every obvious low-hanging fruit take on the situation and how live is a joke and yada, 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 and let's all prepare for the echo chamber of why I hate live coming up shortly. But before that, let's get to the important stuff here. There's two things about this whole thing that are greatly important. Is he going to answer to what the fuck actually happened and is the media going to actually ask him real fucking questions? Okay, that's a joke because do you know who the Live Golf media is? I'm not going to name them by name. Yeah. They are the worst four people that have ever walked the face of golf Instagram. <laughs> and you think they're going to ask him the hard-hitting questions? What I'm saying is, who is going to ask him? Because what he's agreeing to, it's not just playing in this event or joining this tour what comes with pro sports what comes along with it adam he's gonna have to be back in the public eye they can try to hide it and get away with it maybe this first go around but eventually it's gonna catch up with him he's gonna have to answer these questions or sit there and no comment i don't give a fuck about the golf the tournament how he does to be honest i hope he does well that'd be cool i just want to know what happened or what story are you sticking to? This wasn't, oh, he's got an injury and has this insurance deal like everyone regurgitates and he went into hiding. No, he clearly is on some kind of NDA, was clearly asked to leave, was clearly asked to go away for a while. It's not like he's just this private savant that 
needed to stay out of the limelight. No one's like that. When the news of his return first surfaced about a month ago, I said on this podcast that if he went back to live, he would be the one guy that would get me to watch live. Now that it's going to happen this weekend, I have to reassess that because I don't find myself remotely as excited as I was a month ago about Anthony Kim coming back. I don't even know that I care that much. And also, how strange is it that when he gets announced to be coming back this week, it got a lot less traction than when it was just a rumor a month ago. Yeah, it's almost like the overwhelming comments that I'm reading are kind of like, who cares? Right. Who is this guy? So I found that surprising too. Let's get down to brass tacks. Are you going to watch this weekend? I mean, I'm not going to tune in and watch the whole thing. I'm sure we're going to see plenty of it on fucking Instagram. Yep. I was going to say the same thing. I will not be tuning in to live on the CW or YouTube or Tubi or Roku channel or wherever the hell they play. I'm not going to do it. Like you, I know I will see every single one of his shots a million times on Instagram. Charlie Woods played some golf. This past week, he attempted to qualify for the Cognizant Open. I had no idea what the hell the Cognizant Open was until I did a little bit of research and found out that the Cognizant Open is what we used to refer to for 50 years as the Honda Classic. So that is now being sponsored by Cognizant. No idea what Cognizant does, but Charlie Woods went out and attempted as a 15-year-old to qualify. Didn't go well for him. Shot an 86, made a 12 on one hole. Don't care. Not going to be here to break down a 15-year-old's round, regardless of who his dad is. Not what I'm into. I will say this. The fanfare and fan behavior around him last Monday was downright deplorable. The Palm Beach Post reported that he had a massive gallery following him, yelling in his backswing, attempting to go retrieve his lost golf balls in the woods, pull them out, get them signed, fighting over that memorabilia. One guy brought a book that Tiger Woods wrote back in the day and demanded that Charlie Woods sign it in the middle of his round. Another woman pulled her kid out of school in hopes that Charlie would notice the girl. Don't know what that's about if she was trying to play Cupid with her granddaughter. Anyway, it's weird. And this whole thing around Charlie Woods because of whose son he is is horribly bizarre behavior and a terrible representation of golf and a terrible representation of humanity. Get it the hell together, everyone. Are you surprised? Unfortunately not. Two things. This is where we're at. This is how people act. And Tiger brought this on him himself. Maybe he didn't mean to, but that's what this uh, lowering of the floodgates, grow the game uh, without the responsibilities of learning the rules and the etiquette and the decorum. That's what this whole push has been about. You got guys on tour winning this weekend in Mexico, putting hockey jerseys on and shotgunning Michelob Ultras, getting likes, getting reposted. This is the road that we went down. This is what we chose. We chose to grow the game and the tiger effect and fist pumping and this is what you get. You feel bad for Charlie at all? Yeah, but it's the way it's going to be. And if he does have what it takes, this will help him. Mm. But if he doesn't, it's going to hurt him even harder. Last week after the Genesis at Riviera concluded on Sunday, you sent me a text that said the PGA Tour is boring. 
you sent that text. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but you believe that the tour has lost its luster. Not talking about live golf here. We're talking about the PGA Tour. If it wasn't for the antics and the coverage of the waste management, you could just lump the whole West Coast swing as... <sighs> Do you remember anything? Well, your champions were Chris Kirk, Grayson Murray, some guy named Matthew Pavon with a saliva tattoo, Nick Dunlap, which was cool and exciting, but he's not a superstar, Wyndham Clark after 54 holes. Feels like Corn Fairy Plus. You just got these smaller, more middle-of-the-pack field kind of vibes, and pro golf was already not really that exciting anyways. Love it or hate it, the live thing happened for one reason and one reason only. The PGA was not soaring. They were leveling out, if anything, taking a dip. People don't just create new avenues and new entities for the fuck of it. They do it because there's some wiggle room. There's an opportunity. There's a lane. Tiger's going to play in the majors, I'm assuming, despite how his health is, just because that's his thing. But given what we saw at Riv, I don't expect him to be playing much more than the majors, which begs the question, are people really looking forward to tune in to the Memorial, the John Deere, and I hate to say it, even the Arnold Palmer, or the WGCs? Maybe it's just my point of view, given what we've seen thus far and what has transpired over the past two seasons, how the fields are worked and how some events are elevated, some aren't. Man, it's looking pretty snoozy, bud. I think for the first time since Liv started picking off players, I actually started to miss them. Not them as people or guys or golfers that I was huge fans of, but miss them in the sense of what they brought to the competition you go to Riviera and John Rahm isn't there, Dustin Johnson isn't there, Cam Smith isn't there, Brooks Kepka isn't there. The list goes on and on. Tyrrell Hatton. Yeah. And I heard it somewhere else, so I'm not going to take credit for it, but I think that this was so well said and perfectly articulates the situation. Liv taking all these players from the tour has hurt the tour so much more than it's helped live and in that equation who is the loser the golf fan the golf fan is the loser that's that's it for sure because the pga tour right now is missing a gaggle of superstars and none of that is helping live but it sure as hell is hurting the pga tour you're right the end product is the fans lose but i would argue that the pga tour has lost more they're like a pro sports team in the rebuilding years now they don't have any stars. They don't have any capital. They can't fight the other franchises that have more money because they're just going to outspend them. And whether Liv's product gets better, is better, or sucks, they got the dough. So those guys are going to go. Look who the fans are now. You and I, we're, we're the minority, dude. They don't give a shit. They don't care about all that. If Liv keeps pulling guys, they're going to win in the long run. And the PGA Tour right now, they're the freaking Milwaukee Bucks of the 90s. They can't get anybody. They're going to suck no matter what. They're stressed about putting people in the seats. They're stressed about getting sponsors for their team. And they're going to have to hope that these middle-of-the-pack guys turn into superstars. And then they're able to market those superstars as such. To then sell those tournaments to the big corporate entities and the commercial makers. To get eyes on them and get to a point where they used to be, not better where they are or were. So like right now, they're a worse product, and they're 
banking on the fact that they can build these superstars out of these guys that we don't know and don't quite frankly care to know right now. So they're rebuilding, and in my opinion, they're on a long journey right now. The PGA Tour is Adam Hawk and his lazy boy watching his neighbor hit cars in front of his house. Well, that was actually pretty entertaining. They got a long road, and I just don't see them climbing out of it anytime soon. I think you're right. I think you're reading the tea leaves correctly for two reasons. They would not be at the table talking merger if what you're saying is not somewhat correct in their mind. And also players like Rory McIlroy wouldn't be doing an about face and saying there has to be a path for these live players to come back to the PGA Tour. The suspension has to be lifted. And I think the reason he is saying that is because of what you just said. There is a bad product on our television every single week. And it doesn't matter if it's in Mexico or at the Riviera Country Club. It's not doing for people what it used to do. And that's because you are missing some serious household talent. And that goes away. Your product suffers. And then you get people who say, yeah, but now the majors are so much more compelling because all these guys are in the same place at the same time. I got news for you. The majors were always compelling, and they were compelling not because of who was there, but what was at stake. You're playing for legacy. You're playing for the most prestigious titles in the game. And if you're going to fall back on that argument that the majors are now so much better because of this situation, I don't want to live in a world where golf is only watchable four times a year. Right. That sucks. I want golf to be watchable every single weekend. So I don't like that argument. I agree with everything you're saying, and they have to fix this sooner rather than later because while I might stick around a lot longer than you, they need to be thinking about the yous in this situation who are making different choices every single weekend that don't involve the PGA Tour anymore. I got a question for you. Yes. So you saw the rumors in the past couple days. There's rumors of Rory going to live. I did not see that. Yes. And if you look at how he was beating his chest out of the gates to how he's backpedaled and changed his tune, John Rahm just did the same thing. He was vocal against it. And the next thing you know, he's got a letterman's jacket with his watch undone hanging off of his wrist. Rory's done the same thing. And all of a sudden we're at this point and the PGA looks like it is fizzling away. And he's going, what am I doing? You don't think that guy wants $800 million? Rory signs to live. What do you do? Adam Hawk, what are you doing? Where do you stand now? Where are you? I'm PGA Tour until the day I die. I will. So now do you hate Rory? I don't hate John Rahm. I don't Yeah, hate... but Rory's your guy. No, he's, he's not. Yeah, he's no, your... No, he's not. He's, he's your backup tiger. No, he's yeah, not. Yeah, you're a big Rory guy. My backup tiger is Patton Kazire. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like Rory. If he leaves, see you later. Don't care. Don't care, huh? Yeah, I mean... I think you do. I think you do care. I think you care a lot. I think it hurts your feelings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think your feelings are hurt. Okay. Big Rory guy, Adam Hawk. He's never going to go to live. You want to bet? Yeah, I do. What do you want to bet? I'll buy you lunch for the rest of the year. Lunch for the rest of the year? But what do I... I mean, how does this bet go for me? If he doesn't go, you erase my $77,000 of debt from darts. We already narrowed that down to four grand. You erased my four grand. Wow. If he doesn't go. What's the cutoff date? End of the year? End of the year. Okay. We have a deal. 
Okay, so you're not watching the PGA Tour on TV. Let's make a wonderful segue to what you are watching on TV. I want to know right now, what is the best thing you are watching on television right now? I bring up the question because I just watched something truly great that I think you'll really like, and I want to get to that in a second. But first, what are you watching on TV that you really like right now? We just finished the True Detective or True Crime. What was it called? The True Detective. True Detective. That was pretty good. True crime is a genre. True whatever, detective is a TV whatever. show. So we just finished the latest season of that. I liked that. I jumped into this weird one called Monarch, where like Kurt Russell's battling Godzilla and shit. Kind of like that too. But I just started the, it's the guys who made the Narcos and the Pablo Escobar shit. And it's the Giselda chick who's, um, <laughs> you know, in Miami. A female drug kingpin. Griselda. Griselda. Yeah, played by Sofia Vergara. Yeah, and it's actually a really sick show. I may be like five episodes in on that. Well, you only got one left because it is a limited series, six episodes, and the story is over. Well, that's great. It's been fun. That being said, big sci-fi guy. I like I like being forced to sit there and believe, Adam. I feel like that's where the magic lies, is believing. I think that's the whole reason why there is film and TV entertainment because we're supposed to go all in on believing what these actors are doing and there's no bigger leap of faith than the mystical powers of science fiction. (laughs) Big sci-fi guy, it's spiritual to me. It's biblical. I'm a believer. All right, folks, you heard it here first. Sci-fi is biblical to Ryan Engel. (laughs) It's spiritual. He is, quote, a believer. That's great. What a case you just made for sci-fi. Yeah, it's good versus evil. You got to kind of get on board with with the powers that be. Best thing that I saw recently on television was the Run DMC documentary on Peacock called Kings from Queens. Amazing three-part documentary. I grew up listening to the Beastie Boys and adjacently Run DMC. I did not listen to as much Run DMC as I did the Beastie Boys, but come to find out, the Beastie Boys wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Run DMC. Yeah. And NWA wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Run DMC. LL Cool J wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Run DMC. They quite literally pioneered the entire genre of hip hop and brought it to the mainstream. They brought it to white culture. They brought it to Live Aid when they were the only black artists up there and the only ones playing hip hop. And it was really cool to see how these three guys from Hollis, Queens, just got in their attic and started making beats and started reading out of DMC's rhyme book and became the most famous group of the early 80s and then became the first three guys to make a rap album. People had made singles. No one had made a rap album. They made three that are iconic. Yeah. I love Rev Run's delivery. It's like this really passionate, controlled yelling. Mm-hmm. Love it. Um, back in the day when they had the television show on VH1 or MTV, remember it? It was just reality TV about him and his family. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd always end each episode with his, he's in the bath and shit, writing his email to his email list, you know? I wanted to be on that email list so bad. And my buddy Todd was uh, dating this chick who worked marketing for Red Bull at the time. And somehow they were tied up with Run DMC in some type of partnership. And he got on Rev Run's fucking email list. So every morning he would get the Rev Run's like little spiritual fucking inspirational email every day. 
And I was so jealous of that. Yeah. I want it on that list so bad. That's awesome. The last thing I want to say about Run DMC is it was really interesting to watch somebody pioneer and pave a road for so long at such a high level that they never really had to look in their rearview mirror. There was never anyone coming for them because like Tiger Woods in golf, it's the young kids watching him in his prime who are going, I want to do that. But they still have 5, 10, 15 years before they're going to be old enough to pull it off. So everyone that Run DMC was inspiring in the early 80s was learning from them, but they weren't old enough to pull it off. And the one group that got Run DMC's first record and traded it back and forth like on every other day they would go to each other's house and trade it back and forth and say it's my turn to have the record now no it's my turn and they'd fight over it was nwa and nwa who grew up on run dmc completely and totally inspired by them ended up putting run dmc out of business because when nwa comes out and the rhymes and the raps and the lyrics are way harder and the beats are way harder and Run DMC is rapping about staying in school and reading books. Yeah. It was over. Yeah. The very group that Run DMC inspired was the one that ultimately put them out of business. Not on purpose, but they just had a chance to learn from it and take it to a whole new level. And Run DMC couldn't match it after that. So I highly recommend that documentary, although I just gave it all away. Yeah. Good, good one. <laughs> no one's going to watch listening to you anyways. Yeah, probably. Anyway. That's going to do it for us. Thank you so much for listening to The Fellowship. If you played in the group behind us on Saturday, please understand you are our friends and we love you very, very much. This is a disclaimer. All right. We are out of here and we will talk to you next week. See you next week.